Amen. You may be seated, everyone. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the book of John, chapter 16. The book of St. John, chapter 16. Uh, If you're new here, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor at New Life Fellowship. If this is your first time here, I'm absolutely thrilled that you're with us. I want to let you know that at the end of our service here, I'll be downstairs in our lobby area. And so I would love to connect with you at the end of our service before you head out. Now, today we're starting a new series called Life in the Spirit. It's a series on the Holy Spirit, the person and presence of the Holy Spirit. And the reason why I wanted to do a series on the person of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, was because I've recognized that over the past year, probably a little bit more than that, there's been a beautiful groundswell of anticipation, a beautiful groundswell of passion and of interest as it pertains to the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And so what I wanted to do in this series, and we're going to be doing this series for about 12 to 15 weeks or so, uh, I wanted to really fan into flame the passion and and, and the interest as it pertains to the Holy Spirit, also to provide some theological and some biblical framework as we uh, seek to wrestle uh, with what it means to live life in the Spirit together. And the reason we wanted to do this, the reason I wanted to do this, is because there's three typical postures that people have, that churches have, that Christian has, Christians have as it pertains to the Holy Spirit. Either, first of all, we have forgotten the Spirit. Many of us forgot this. Many churches forget the Spirit. It's like the Holy Who, it's, it's, it's we forget the Spirit. As Stephen Olford said, he said, uh, if the sin of the Old Testament was for was rejecting God and the sin of the New Testament was rejecting Jesus, then the sin of our time is rejection of the Holy Spirit. And so we have forgotten God. The other posture we have is that we, we fear the Spirit. We fear we're frightened by the Spirit. Some of you have had some bad experiences in some churches. You've seen some weird things, and you're just like, oh, no, what's about to happen at New Life, you know? And so you fear the Spirit. And thirdly, uh, we tend to uh, be forceful with the Spirit. There's certain people that are forceful with the Spirit. That if you don't follow God and the Spirit in the same way that I do, something's wrong with you. And listen, I grew up uh, Pentecostal here, so I, I've, I've had people, you know, you will fall in Jesus' name, you know. And I'm saying... I'm saying, brother, I'm, I'm not going to fall. No, you will fall. And somebody trip him in Jesus' name, you know. And so... Um, And so we want to have the appropriate focus on the Spirit, that the Spirit wants to give us freedom. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, this series breaking down in three parts, really. Who is the Spirit? Uh, What does the Spirit do? And what does the Spirit do through us? And so my prayer is that we will get to know the Spirit in an everyday way. And many times there's an overemphasis on... Holy Spirit, show up on Sunday, please. And we want the Spirit to show up on Sunday. We want to create that environment. But I'm talking about how does life in the Spirit, that when you're in the grocery store, when you're at the bank, where you're in school, how do we live life in the Spirit? So John chapter 16, when you get there, hold on to your place. We'll get back there in a moment. But let's pray. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us and bring Scripture alive in us today. Let's pray together. Spirit of the living God, we ask that you would fall fresh in this place and open up the eyes of our understanding. Lord, as we read scripture and as I preach today, may you do the inner work that you want to do inside of us. May you set us free. May you give us wisdom and revelation as we look into this passage. And so we offer this time to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. There are a few things in this world that are more important than presence, more important than presence. 
And just so I'm clear, I'm not talking about the kind of presents you get on Christmas or the kind of presents you get on your birthday. I'm talking about the kind of presents we offer to each other. Nothing can take the place of presents. You can give gifts to your wife and to your children or to your husband, but if you don't offer them presents, your presence, something is deeply missing. Many people try to compensate for their lack of presence by giving a lot of presents. And yet all the presence in the world cannot replace the presence that we are to be with one another. When a loved one passes away, the thing we miss most is not the gifts that they have given us. What we miss most is their presence. When we're ill and when we're in the hospital, balloons are nice and cards lift our spirits. But what we really want is someone to come be with us. What we want is presence. When we celebrate the, uh, the, the, the joys of life, the graduations, the weddings, the birthdays, uh, the social events like that, the presents are a beautiful thing, but, but what we really want are people to be there. We want their presence. As a pastor, I've learned that when people are going through hard times, they don't need a sermon. When people are ill, they don't need some soothing words. What they simply need is just quiet presence. And it's safe to say that Christianity is the story of presence. It's the story of God's faithful and unending presence with his people. As Scott McKnight has said, a theologian has said, the Bible is really about the withness of God, the withness of God, that God throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation has wanted to be with his people, the withness of God. And yet in this passage in John chapter 16, we see something very puzzling, words offered by Jesus. In John chapter 16, beginning in verse number one, hear the word of the Lord. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I do not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. And then it says these words here. But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, and here's our verse for the day here. Very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. When we pick up in our text, Jesus is informing his disciples that he is physically going to leave them. They have spent three years together doing ministry together. They've eaten together. They've done ministry together. They've played together. They've prayed together. They have partied together. They have a great thing going. And since Jesus came into their lives, things have never been the same. They've seen people healed. They've seen people raised from the dead. And just Three years, they've seen so much. And so at this point, you could imagine, the disciples are thinking, could you imagine what the next three years are going to look like? If we've seen all this in three years, imagine what the next three years are going to look like. And so I imagine they start planning the next two years, the next three years. Jesus, we can do this. We can go there. They start going on royaljerusalem.com. We can want a cruise together, Jesus. We can have a great time together. They're thinking about all the change that could happen in their land. They're hoping for the day when, when Jesus will free them from Roman occupation. But at this moment, as they're potentially thinking about the next two to three years, Jesus drops a bombshell on them. 
Instead of being with them physically, Jesus is talking about leaving. And I imagine he goes to his disciples and says, guys, I'm going to be leaving. And Peter says, don't worry about it. Jesus, I'll see you tomorrow. Three o'clock, he said, no, I'm leaving, leaving. No, no, what do you mean, for a week or two weeks? No, no, leaving. I am, I'm, I'm leaving. And Jesus says, I'm not just leaving for a couple of days. I have to leave. And not only does he say, I'm going to leave, he says that it is good that he leaves. Could you imagine at this time the disciples have been so close to him? They've done everything together, and now I imagine they are confused and they are heartbroken. You know what it's like? It's like you're dating someone. Things are going great, at least from your perspective. <laughs> and then they say, listen, I love you, but it's better that I leave because God got somebody better for you. And it's just like, I thought we had something going, but I thought we... What do you mean it's better that you leave? No, I want you to stay here. No, no, it's better that I leave. There's something better for you. Dale Bruner, a New Testament scholar, has said that this verse can be translated in this way. Jesus saying, the best thing that could ever happen to you is for me to go away. How can this be possible? How can anything be, be better than the physical, historical presence of Jesus? If you were to make a choice between having the physical, uh, historical presence of Jesus or having the Holy Spirit inside of you, many of us, if not all of us, would say, can I get Jesus? Can I see Jesus? I, I, yeah, give me Jesus. And Jesus says, the best thing that could ever happen to you is for me to go away. It doesn't make any sense. And so in order to understand what Jesus is getting at, it's important to uh, take a look at God's promise of his presence throughout the Bible. Because unless we understand God's intention for our lives from the beginning in the book of Genesis, we won't understand Jesus' stunning words. And his words are stunning. They're stunning. The Bible begins with God creating the heavens and the earth. God creates humanity. And if you notice, God didn't create them and then leave them alone. He doesn't move far away from them. From the very beginning of the Bible, God has desired to be with his people. And so God, it says, the Bible says that in the cool of the day, God would come to them. God would come with a picnic basket and some fruit and some sparkling water. And he'd have a great sparkling. It's in the Bible. He had some sparkling water with Adam and with Eve. And he would enjoy the company of those he created. But as the story goes, and as you know, humanity was not content being with God. Humanity wanted to be God. And this is the repeated sin in our world. Rather than being content being with God, we want to be God. And so because of their sin, they are banished from God's presence. But aren't you glad the story doesn't end there? God, the rest of the Bible is the story of God's relentless pursuit to be with his people. The entirety of the Bible can be summarized as this. It is God's relentless pursuit to be present with his people. And so in the Old Testament, you begin to see the ways that God has been present with his people. One of the more prominent ways that God is seen as being with his people is through the tabernacle. After the people of God experienced liberation from Egypt, God wasn't just content doing something for his people. God wanted to be with his people. And so God created this brilliant idea to tabernacle with his people, to, to just be with them, to tabernacle with them. 
And so God instructs Moses, create a tabernacle. And the tabernacle was essentially a portable dwelling place of God. That wherever they went, they just picked up the tabernacle and God went with them. And it's essentially God saying this, wherever you go, I'll go with you. God just wants to be with us. God loves us. And the tabernacle represented God's commitment to be with his people as they journeyed. But in the wilderness, they sinned against God. Nothing surprising here. They worship an idol, and God is so grieved that he says to Moses, I I can't go with you any further. I have to stop right here. He's so grieved. And Moses responds, if your presence doesn't go with us, I don't want to go either. What if we pray that kind of prayer? Lord, if if your presence doesn't come, I don't want to go. And so Moses prays his prayer, and and God says, uh, and God relents. And later on in in the story of Israel, God wants to further establish his commitment to be with his people. And so he instructs Solomon to build a temple. And within the temple, there will be a place called the Holies of Holies. Because of humanity's sin, God needed to create a separate room, if you will, within the temple. And God was saying, basically, not just something that is going to journey with you. Build this thing. It's a picture of my stability. I'm with you. I'm for you. God loves his people. He's saying, I long to be with you. I love you. As I was thinking about this and I was working on my sermon on Panera Bread on Woodhaven Boulevard, I was working on it and I was typing everything. And every now and then as I'm listening to, working on my sermon, I'm listening to some music. And this past week, I happened to be listening to a, a 70s song. And my father was a DJ, and I was, I was born in the late 70s, my DJ, but I knew all the songs from the 60s and 70s. As I'm working on my sermon, the song comes on. La, 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 I love you. <clears throat> oh, baby, I do. <laughs> One more time. La, 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 Oh, so, so, so I'm typing. So, so as I'm typing, the song is going on. And then the song after that, I want to be next to you. You know, and I'm at that. I'm typing and everything. If you have no idea what those songs are, we'll pray for you after the service, and, and we'll send you to YouTube right after that, all right? And as I'm reading, I'm, he- I'm hearing the song, and I'm going, oh, this is God's song. This is the music playing in the background as God's saying, I want to be with you. I love you. God wants to be with his people. And the distinguishing mark of the people of God was this, God is with them. God's presence is with them. No other people could say that except the people of God. That God is with, this was the distinguishing mark that separated them from everyone else. No one dwelled with their people like God did. And yet Israel's failure and sin caused them to forfeit God's presence. And their constant rebellion led to the temple being destroyed. And it led them to going into exile. And not, the, the biggest part wasn't that they were far from their land. The biggest uh, loss was we don't have the presence of God anymore. And so they're in exile. And as they're in exile, God sends prophets filled with the Holy Spirit to say words like this through Ezekiel. My dwelling place will be, will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. God is saying there is coming a day when a new covenant will become a reality. 
And this covenant will be marked by the return of my presence in its fullness. So the next thing happens, a second temple is built. And God's presence doesn't, uh, is, is not shine in a marvelous way as they had hoped it was. And God doesn't give up on his people. This is the theme of the Bible. God does not give up on his people. He wants to be with his people. And so God has an idea. After the people of God have experienced him in the garden, after they experienced him in the tabernacle, after they experienced him in the temple, even after their sin and their rebellion and all that, God says, I want to be next to you. I love you. I want to be with you. And so God says, how about we come in a different way? How come I come in a different way? Instead of coming in the garden, instead of coming in a tabernacle, instead of coming in a temple, God says, I'm going to come as a human being. And I want you to get what the Gospel of John says. Verse 14, chapter 1, where it says, the word became flesh and dwelled. The word dwelled is tabernacled among them. So when John is writing, they would go, oh, the same God that was tabernacling with the people is the God that wants to tabernacle and dwell with us right now. Jesus is the presence of God. And even in Jesus' coming, Jesus knew that God had something else in store for his people because while Jesus could be with God's people, he could not be in them. His physicality limited him in being in his people. And the greatest promise offered to the people of God was this, God will make his dwelling place among his people. And so in light of all this, now what Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 7, it makes sense. Why should Jesus go away? This is essentially what Jesus is saying. He's saying the best thing that could ever happen for me to go away. Why? And here's why. Jesus basically saying, my absence will pave the way for another dimension of my presence. My absence will pave the way for another dimension of my presence. And Jesus is trying to get his disciples to let go of something they were familiar with, him, to make room for something new, the spirit. This actually is a good life principle. Sometimes... We have to let go of what we are familiar with to make room for something new. Some of you have been on that job for way too long, and you know you should have left that job a long time ago, but you're familiar with it. And one of the best things we can do for ourselves is to leave what we are familiar with to make room for something new. Some of you have been in dating relationships over and over and over, and the person you're with right now, you realize, God, I know God has somebody better for me. But you're so familiar with it. And you think to myself, that means I have to start fresh again and get to know and act like I'm interested in that person again. (laughs) And yet one of the things that keep us from experiencing something new is just staying with what is familiar. Our understanding of God is so easy to get familiar and comfortable with our understanding of God and who God is. And yet Jesus is saying, you've understood God on this level here. I want you to begin to let go of what you're familiar with because there is a new dimension of my presence coming. And so here's the great news of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus in the midst of his people. But it goes even further than that. God is not only dwelling among us collectively 
God has chosen to dwell in us individually. Not just dwell with, dwell in. That's how close God wants to be with you. And this is why it makes sense later on why Paul would say that that the church is God's temple. And later on he would say that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Which, If your body, and listen, I was in Panera Bed just racking my brain. What do you mean God lives in me? It's church talk. We hear it all the time. And yet we don't understand the staggering nature of that statement. If you are a Christian, God lives in inside of you. I'm in Panera Bread just banging my, how is this possible? And you, sure, do you need more coffee? No, no, no. I'm trying to understand. How is this possible that God lives in me and that God lives in you? And yet Paul later on says, this is a mystery. In Colossians 1, he says, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What's the mystery? Which is Christ in you. Wrap your mind around it for a second. Just Jesus Christ is living inside of you through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you, if you, if you don't do anything this week, Sit down for 30 minutes and just think, God lives inside of me. God lives, I, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around it. God lives inside of you. And if God lives inside of you, if your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, this has incredible implications. This is why sexuality is so important. And who you sleep with is so important. Because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. How you eat, how you diet is important because your body is the temple of the Holy God lives inside of you. Think about that for a moment. And Jesus is saying, I need to go because if I don't go, I can't live inside of you. God cannot get enough of you. And so here's, what, here's what's amazing about God's indwelling presence. In the Old Testament, his, his presence was not permanent. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people and then empower them for something, and then the Spirit would depart. Samson, the prophets, the judges, the Spirit would come upon them for a season, and then the Spirit would, would depart. But in Jesus, God's Spirit comes to dwell in us permanently. And how can this be? How can the, when, when God dwelled in the Old Testament in the temple, the temple had to be clean? Without sin. How is it possible that God, I, I know you and you know me. That we're not that clean. And we're not without sin. How is it possible that God dwells and calls me the temple of the Holy Spirit? I'll tell you why. Because of what Jesus has done. When Jesus Christ dies on the cross and you, and you put your faith in him, he cleans you. He forgives you. He creates, as it were, a holies of holies inside of you for the presence of God to dwell. And this is how it's possible that you can still be a sinner and yet have the presence of God and the person of God dwell inside of you. And the reason why the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you is not because you've been good. It's because God's been good. That's why the Spirit lives inside of you. The Spirit doesn't say, uh, you've been saying your prayers, I'll come inside of you. You've been going to church, I'll live inside of you. You've been reading the Bible, I'll live inside of you. You've been generous, okay, I'll live inside of you. It's none of that. God doesn't live in us because we've been good. 
He lives in us because Christ has been good. And because Christ has forgiven us. And because Jesus Christ has forgiven us, God says, now I have created a space for you. Now I can dwell inside of you. Amen? Inside of you. God has forgiven you in Christ, created a space, as it were, inside of you, a holies of holies, as it were, inside of you. And the presence of the living God dwells in each of us. You might have a low-paying job and think you're nothing and think, I, I, I'm not educated. No, no, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You might not be able to pay this month's rent. No, no, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You might have problem after wrestling with addiction, trying to get free from this thing and wondering, God doesn't know the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He loves his people. He wants to be with us. And because he lives inside of us, there are just three areas of application. What does this mean for us? And we're going to be unpacking this for the next couple of months. What does it mean? What, so what the Holy Spirit lives inside of us? I want to give you three areas of application for us. First of all, it's this. Because the Spirit lives inside of you, you are never alone. Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, you are never alone. And this is what Jesus wants to let his disciples know. The disciples think Jesus is going to leave them as orphans. And Jesus says, no, I'm leaving, but I'm sending, the word there is, the paraclete, the, the advocate, the helper, the comforter. And the last words that Jesus says to his disciples in, in the Gospel of Matthew is, I will be with you always to the end of the age. The way that Jesus is with us is through the indwelling presence of the Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit, one of the tasks of the Spirit is to remind us that we are never alone. We are never alone. And I'm asking that God would give us a lived experience of this. That, that the Holy Spirit throughout the course of this series, throughout the rest of your life, that you would realize, regardless of what's happening in my life, I am never alone. Your boyfriend might have broken up with you, but you are never alone. You might be isolated from your people or from people, but you are never alone. Friends might have rejected you, but you are never alone. Might be facing a new season in life, sick and feel isolated and depressed. You are never alone. And no matter the circumstances that you are facing today, we have this confidence that God is with me, that God is in me, that God is for me, that we are never alone. You're never alone. Whatever you face this week, when no one knows what you're facing and the depression that you feel and the anxiety and the fear that you fear, you are never alone. Because the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, and this week, I believe the Holy Spirit is going to give us some new lived experiences to remind you that regardless of what you're facing, you are not alone. This is why prayer is so important. Because prayer positions us for the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to remind us that we are not alone. That's the first thing. And that's good news. Because, because the Spirit is in you, you're alone. Secondly, because the Spirit is in you, you can become like Christ. Because the Spirit is inside of you, you can become like Christ. God is longing for us to live the kind of life that is possible because of the indwelling presence of the Spirit. And the kind of life that God wants us to live is the kind of life that looks like his son. And God has predestined you to do this. 
This is what Romans says. It says, for those that he foreknew, he knew ahead of time. He's talking about you in the room. He also predestined not to have a big car, not to have a big job. This is what he predestined. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God's greatest desire is that you would be conformed to the image of his son. Listen, there is a life inside of you right now waiting to be lived. And God is waiting for you to live a particular kind of life because of the indwelling presence of the spirit. And the kind of life that God has for you is you can't buy it at the mall. You can't get it out there. The kind of life that God is waiting for you to live already dwells inside of you because of the presence of the Spirit. It's cost-effective too. You don't go into debt being the kind of person that God wants you to be. You go into debt being the kind of person the world wants you to be, but God has another plan for you to make you into someone that he's longing for you to be. Listen, you might be prone to anxiety in this room prone. Your mother knows it. Your father knows it. Your wife knows it. Your husband. Everybody knows you're prone to anxiety, filled with angst, filled with fear all the time. And that might be your current reality right now. And yet God says, I am longing for you to live a life permeated with peace. And that life is available right now because of the indwelling presence of the Spirit. Some of you, 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 you're identified by cynicism, and being sarcastic and, and, or depressed, I mean, you're, you're, that's your life. And, and everyone knows you that way. And God is saying there is another way of being in the world that is available for you. Why? Because of the indwelling presence of the Spirit. Some of us, we are dominated by unforgiveness and by bitterness and by resentment. When people see us walk down the street, they go, oh, resentment is coming. You know, they, they just know what's happening. And yet God is saying there is another way of being in the world. Why? Because of the indwelling presence of the Spirit. You can be a loving person, a kind person, a gentle person because of the indwelling presence of the Spirit. God is, right now, God is longing for you to live a, a particular kind of life. And the Holy Spirit is trying to do something inside you to make that life come to expression. You're destined for this. He's longing for you to live this kind of life. Christians are to live the kind of life that really it doesn't make sense to the world. It, the world should be confounded and perplexed by Christians. When you saw what happened in Charleston and that man killed those, the, the, the church folks and, 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 um, and, a, and the Amy church there, and they go, the next day they start saying, I forgive you. Why was the world so confounded? How could you forgive? It just happened because the presence of the Holy Spirit is inside of them. If Christians live lives that don't confound the outside world, we're not doing our job. We should be so generous that the world is just perplexed by our generosity. How could you be so generous? We should have a joy that perplexes the world, a peace that confounds the world, a wisdom that confounds. We, that's the kind of people that we are to be. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you right now if you're a Christian. And that's the kind of life that God is inviting us to live, a life that looks like Christ. And because the Spirit is inside of us, you have power. You have power. 
many times we live like we're powerless. We wonder, can anything really change in our world? When we look at television, when we read the newspaper, we go, this seems too overwhelming. Can anything, we look at our house, we look at our job, can anything change in our world? And yet this series, God wants to remind us that whether you know it or not, you have power. You have power. God has given us gifts of the Spirit. And the gifts of the Spirit long to be expressed. And God has empowered us to to speak words and to embody a life that transforms people. You have power. I know there's injustice in the world, but God's given you power. I know there's poverty in the world, but God's given you power. I know there's racial fragmentation in the world, but God's given you power. I know there's sickness in the world, but God's given you power. I know there's rampant depression around the world, but God has given you power. I know you have a history of divorces in your family, but God has given you power. I know you wrestle with your finances, but God has given you power. The Holy Spirit is inside of you, and the Holy Spirit longs to empower you to live the kind of life that you could not live by yourself. God is inside of you. God has given you power. You may think, Rich, I can't change anything. Oh, yes, you can. The Spirit is inside of you. You may think my job is just going to be my job. This is how it is. This is the kind of culture it is. No, no. The Spirit is inside of you. This is my college campus is just known by a particular eye. No, no. The Spirit is inside of you. And the Holy Spirit wants to work not just in us, but through us. And so how do we access this power? How do we live the kind of life that brings access to this kind of life of power? And I just want to offer two words for us as we go on. How do we live this kind of power? How do we become a person that looks more like Jesus? How do we become a person that uh, has power and expresses that to the world? There are two words. One is expectation. The other is encounter. Or an expectation for encounter. I'm convinced that many Christians, when we go about our business, whether it's coming to church on Sundays, whether it's opening the Bible, whether it's going to a small group, many of us live without expectation. We're accustomed to it. How many of us, don't raise your hand, but how many of us came to church this morning saying, I am expecting God to meet me in a profound way today? Most of us, we just say, I hope I get my seat. (laughs) I hope they sing my song. I hope the service doesn't go because the game is on, you know? But how many of us get up and we say, Lord, I'm expecting you to meet me in a profound way today. I'm expecting you to speak to me words that I need. I'm expecting you to empower me with the kind of life that you want me to live. Expectation for encounter. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of just going through the motions. I'm just going, going to church and reading the Bible and doing my disciplines, but it's not done in the context of a longing for encounter with God. And I'm convinced that God doesn't just want to give us one encounter. I believe God wants to encounter us multiple times. 
When I became a Christian, what an encounter. 15 family members became Christian on one night. What an encounter. The Holy Spirit moved us and changed and saved us and rescued us. And God didn't say, well, that's your one encounter for the next 20 years. Enjoy that. Hope you enjoy that. Make the most savor that. Take a picture. No, God wants to meet us and encounter us on a regular basis. And many times the encounter tends to come as a result of our expectation. Lord, do I really expect you to speak to me this day? Lord, I'm about to go on the train. I expect you somehow to encounter me. Lord, I'm about to go to small group. I'm about to open the Bible. Lord, I, I, Lord there's an expectation that you want to meet me in a particular way. An expectation for encounter. And I believe over the next few months that this is what God wants to do in us. He wants to position us for expectation so that the Holy Spirit would surprise us in ways that we could never anticipate. And you know God is in a room and you know God is in a person when you're surprised by the Spirit. When you couldn't have calculated this. When you had no plan for this. And yet the Holy Spirit does something inside of us. May we live with that kind of expectation. Amen. I want to invite the worship team to come forward. And I want to invite all of us to stand. We're just going to sing together. We're going to create space for encounter in worship. One of the ways that God encounters us is in worship, is when we sing. When we, when we create a space for God to enter in. This is a, this, that's what expectation is. I'm creating a space for God to enter in. This is why spiritual disciplines are so important. I'm creating space for silence in my life. I'm creating space for solitude in my life. I'm creating space for the Bible in my life. I'm creating space for community. I'm creating space so that God can encounter me with his power, with his love, with his mercy, with his compassion. And one of the ways that we create space is by singing together. There's something that happens when we offer our words before God, when we offer our hearts before God, when we sing to God and say, God, would you visit us? Would you encounter? And so if you're not prone to singing, I want to encourage you to begin to open your mouth and sing before God. And there's something that happens when we sing. As Martin Luther has said, he who sings or she who sings prays twice. So you want to double your prayers? Start singing. And watch how God meets us. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that as we sing together, that we would sing with an expectation that you want to meet us right now. Right in this room right now, you want to meet us. For those of us that are sick, Lord, I believe you want to meet us and visit us with healing. Lord, for those of us that are depressed, prone to anxiety, Lord, I believe you want to visit us with peace. Lord, as we sing, would you pour out your joy? Lord, would you, would you pour out whatever you want to pour out in this place, whatever we need as we sing to you now? So, Lord, we sing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. You are welcome in this place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Jesus, you're welcome through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to set us free in this place. Lord, for those of us that came in 
uh, in despair, suicidal. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would set the captives free. Right now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Lord, right now, those that are wrestling with sickness, whether the common cold or something just much more grave and concerning than that, Lord, would you visit us right now in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit? Lord, would you lay hands on us? the prayer team to come forward, and this is how I like to end a little differently. For those of you that are um, in need of a touch from God physically, just raise your hand if you're in need of a touch from God. And if you see someone raising their hand, just lay your hands on their shoulder. If you came in today just saying, Lord, would you physically just touch my body? I need help. Just raise your hand right where you're at. If you're next to them, just lay your hand gently right on their shoulder. I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would begin to move in power. The Lord sees your pain. The Lord sees those moments of isolation. The Lord sees your anxiety your doctor's appointment. The Lord sees you. The Lord is with you. The Lord says, I've never forsaken you. I am with you throughout the age. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask in the authority of the name of Jesus. indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that you would begin to perform great wonders and healing in this room and so Lord we lay hands as a sign of authority as a sign of your presence being with us and would you begin to move right now Lord, you are our healer. Ultimately, you are our healer. And so we ask with faith that you would begin to heal. Set the captives free, Lord. we have our prayer team and maybe God has begun to minister you today and touch you today but you sense God wants to do something more in you after I close our prayer uh, our service here free to come up for prayer for someone to anoint you with oil as a sign that God is with you God's presence with you that he is for you that he loves you and some of you in this room you're not a Christian today and God longs to dwell inside of you. And Jesus longs to forgive you and create a space for the Spirit to dwell inside of you.
And maybe you've been coming to New Life, but you've never made a decision for God. You've never said, Holy Spirit, come inside of me. Dwell in me. Live in me. Permeate and saturate my life. If you've never done that, we have our prayer team here. You can just walk right up. And we would love to talk with you and pray with you and lead you towards that. And for whatever need you have, you can come up. And to my left, we have the Lord's table. Jesus Christ, broken and bruised, poured out. Ultimately, so that he would live in you. Dwell inside of me. And he said, it's better that I go. Because if I don't, I can't send the Holy Spirit. Wow, what a prayer. Unbelievable. So as we close, I want to invite you to open your hands for us, heaven, to receive a blessing. And may God use you in powerful ways this week, in you and through you. May we see the great signs of the Spirit's power among our people. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters, and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may He keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit with a greater awareness of his presence. May you walk with the Spirit. May you live in the Spirit. May the Spirit's power flow through you. And so I bless you all today in the strong and the beautiful. In the resurrected name of Jesus and the people of God said,